have a little quiz for you. I think that some of the most epic tales have exceptional beginnings. And I wonder if you can identify the beginnings of these tales based on just the very first sentence. All right? The first one is, call me Ishmael. Moby Dick, thank you. The next one is, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Thank you. This one gets harder. Who am I? You sure you want to know? Anyone know that one? Nathan over there is like, it might be Spider-Man. If you were thinking that, Spider-Man, that's how Spider-Man starts. Here's an easier one. The hills are alive with the sound of music. (laughs) The sound of music. How about this one? Long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John, good. In my former book, Theophilus. Acts, (laughs) you are right. Every epic story has usually a very good beginning. But I have to say, this beginning, the book of Acts, in my former book, Theophilus, oh, that's kind of a boring beginning, right? But there is something beginning here in Acts. And before we jump into not just this morning's scripture, but but what we're going to be studying for the whole summer, I want us to read Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, making it really easy for us. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. It comes after the Gospels. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Um, And we're going to talk about what Acts is, but first we must read it. This is uh, the author Luke's reminder beginning for us. It's kind of like his long ago in a galaxy far, far away, because every single Star Wars movie starts that way. Uh, uh, This is his story. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. 
They were looking intently into the sky as he was, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I imagine this being that like scrolling thing in Star Wars, right? The whole story, Princess Leia, Luke, right? Darth Vader and Jesus. No, that's not how it goes. Uh, but this is quite the way to start a story. Of course, this isn't the start to the story. You see, it's a continuation of the story. But there is something uh, very new, very beginning-y about this story. So today we start on this journey through the book of Acts. And I want you to know that I am, I've been anticipating this uh, since January. Super excited for the things that we are going to, to embark on, to learn together. But I also need you to know I am a little trepidatious. Which when I typed trepidatious into my um, Word document, did you know that's not a word? I'm making it up. I'm trepidatious, okay? I think that God is going to be saying some wildly new things to us, the church, in this next season, in these next months. And I'm super excited about that, but I'm also a little trepidatious. You see, these new things will come through a book that was written centuries and centuries ago, but God continues to speak through it. And, I, and I'm, I'm a little trepidatious. You see, we're going to spend our time in Acts this summer. The book of Acts, also called the Acts of the Apostles, um, was written by the gospel writer Luke. So if you, uh, here in my Bible, I see Acts, and then I see John. Okay, that's not helpful to me, because these two books go together. So if I were to go back to Luke 24, and then jump to Acts 1, these are, these are two books, Luke and Acts written by the same guy, and written for the same purpose, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And in between, those people who canonized scripture, which means they organized it and verified it, they put the Gospel of John in between Luke and Acts, which is a really significant, but very much in the way bookmark, okay? So um, I don't encourage you to take out John and, and, and ruin your Bible, but, but just know that Luke and Acts, they go together. Uh, that the end of, the, of, of Luke proceeds and tells us great things in preparation for the story of Acts. But here what we have in Acts is a continuation of the story, certainly, but it is something entirely new, something that has yet to be formed, something that takes all of what was before Old Testament and Gospels and it introduces a new character. This character has been on the scene the whole time, but it has been in the background. There have been hushes of this character, whispers of this character, but now they are on stage for the world to see. And boy, oh boy, do they see it. Do we see it? You see, this new thing that has always been and always will be is the Spirit of God. Acts is about the Spirit of God. It's about the activity of the Spirit of God with God's people. This is exciting. 
You see, Acts holds the history of several other key beginnings throughout Scripture, throughout the arc of the story of God. Acts brings uh, the next scene, the next beginning to us. I want us to, to, to bring us, uh, I want to bring us all the way back to Genesis for a moment. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth moment. You see, when God uh, initiated creation, it was a great delight. It wasn't as though God was obligated, rolling God's eyes. There wasn't boredom. There wasn't frustration. Oh, I've got to create these people. Oh, these leaves again. Why do I have to make these leaves? Oh, why am I making clouds in the sky? No, God was so delighted to create. And God did it. And God said it was good. It was a joy for God to create. And after every act of creation, God said, oh, oh, it's good. And then it was a joy for God to create humanity. It was like the greatest joy because God called it very good. It was very good for God to be in relationship with God's people. There were people there to, for God to, uh, to love, to interact with. People to watch grow and change. People to ask questions of and to see their sense of discovery unfold people who were interested in the wild and wide and the expansive things that god had created and the movement of god in that creation was a delight god found joy in this and then there was another beginning first the beginning of creation and then the beginning of the incarnation when God could not be left apart from God's people. So God put on flesh in the person of Jesus and was with them. This is a, a second beginning. It's another act of great delight uh, with God and with humanity, with God and God's created. I think for too long, we, we, our, our theology has centered on a story where God was, was frustrated and upset with God's people. So much so that God had to come down and, and deal with us. And the way that, that God dealt with us was the cross. It's as though we've understood God to have uh, to begrudgingly heave on a raincoat and go out in a thunderstorm and, and take out the trash of humanity's sinfulness. This is not so. It was out of deep and, and unrelenting love delight that God offered God's self in the person of Jesus. And it is out of that same immeasurable delight that God chose a way to get even closer to God's created. I can imagine the, the joy on God's face drawing near to those he created. Wide eyes, pure joy, maybe a little dance like we saw here purposeful or not purposeful. It was out of immeasurable delight that God sent Jesus to get close. And this movement of God in the person of Jesus was a joy. It was a joy. And so now, the movement of God through the gift of the Spirit is a delight. This new beginning uh, is it brought forth the Spirit of God. And the book of Acts bears witness then to this delight. 
The book of Acts bears witness to the activity of God in the lives of God's created and redeemed creations. This is what Acts is about. It's not about how great people are or how faithful they were or how invested they were in the mission. That is not the main point of Acts. Rather, Acts bears witness to the Spirit who, when received by regular people, complicated people, burdened people, angsty people, annoying people, when these regular people receive the gift of the Spirit, there is a new creation that is formed in a community called the body of Christ. It's a miracle, especially when the Spirit of God uses those annoying ones. <laughs> and you want to know what? <laughs> the Spirit of God was delighted to do this. This was not taking out the trash. This was not frustrated that people don't get it right. This was delight. You may notice, uh, as we've talked it through these three movements of Scripture, first, creation, and then incarnation, and now this third movement, what I'd like to call bearing witness. Bearing witness means holding one's life, uh, holding in one's life the ability to profess what they have seen or heard. Let me say it again. Holding in one's life the ability to profess what they have seen or heard or know. I forgot that part. You see, this concept of bearing witness is essential to the whole story of God, from creation all the way to Acts and beyond, even right now. But it has a very particular emphasis here in the book of Acts and in right now, when the Spirit of God is literally placed amongst the people, making them able to bear witness. So Luke starts out his, his second book, the book of Acts, by, by summarizing all of what happened in book number one. He does it in like four verses. He talks about Jesus. He talks about the incarnation. It was amazing, you guys. There was ministry and healing and there was presence and there was meals and there was, there was miracles and there was, there was suffering and there was death. And then there was resurrection. It was, it was just all so much. You can imagine... Luke trying to write all this down. Oh, it's just amazing. You have no idea. Except they do, but they don't. Uh, see, what Luke is trying to tell them is that they bore witness to Jesus. They, uh, these disciples and the people around the disciples, they, they saw with their very own eyes and lives the life of Jesus and what that meant. And Luke says, hey, it changed your life. There were things that happened that changed your life. And not only did it change your life, but it changed the trajectory of God's relationship with all the created. This is getting exciting. And so, uh, after he tells them this like really sped up version of like three years, a lot of years of, of life, of the life of Jesus, um, Luke says that then Jesus was at the table, which is where Jesus does a lot of stuff. It says in verse 4 that they were eating together, and then Jesus calls this kind of family meeting of sorts. He says, don't leave. I don't know where they, he, that Jesus was thinking they were going, or maybe he did know that they were all going to run away. He says, don't leave. He says, wait 
in Jerusalem, Pastor Paul preached on this last week, wait, something's going to happen here, and you get to be a part of it. And it's going to be similar to what you experienced before, but actually, whoa, it's going to be totally new, and you're not going to know what to do with your hands. (laughs) I can bet that the disciples, after hearing this news, wait, something's going to happen. You won't know what to do with your hands. The disciples have a lot of, of questions. And in an effort to piece together all of what they know about Jesus, all of what they've experienced of Jesus, and, and all that they want from Jesus, they ask this question in verse 6. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Where is this coming from? See, it's a question of nationalism. See, amidst all the unknowns, all the vulnerability, all the frailty of that very moment for the disciples, post-Jesus' resurrection, but really having no idea what's to come, the disciples around Jesus revert back to something that they have known, that generations have known and longed for, that Israel will be back in charge of its own destiny and its own autonomy. It's a question of nationalism. But let's not judge them for it. We do this. On the brink of of the newness of something, even if we don't know what that newness is yet, we are often found reverting back to those things that we know, that we have experienced, that we have certainty with, even if they are limited in their ability to bring flourishing life. The nationalist question that has plagued the hearts of humanity since the dawn of time is present here before in this transition between Jesus and the Spirit. This is a a deep, and uh, this question has deep and tethered roots uh, all over the world, but especially uh, we've noticed in the United States. And these deep and tethered roots have made their way into Christianity and to other faith expressions as well. And it makes sense too because we are often looking for ways to cope with our vulnerability. It feels secure to be self-determining, to to wield power over others to control our own destiny. That feels good. And so this leads Those of us who ask the question of nationalism, it leads us to put up walls, to segregate communities, to enact violence in order to exercise the right uh, to life in this politic. And it is the most effective way to cut off the work of the Spirit of God. I appreciate that Luke uh, doesn't leave this question out of the narrative to make the disciples look good, right? You see, this question prompts us to admit that and to repent of the notion that personal power and controlled destiny often and repeatedly get in the way of the movement of God in individuals, in communities, and in the, in the world. If this question was answered in the way that the disciples had hoped, uh, the scope of God's activity in the world, using them 
would probably be cut off. God would be like, well, we're not doing that. But what I love, what I love is that Jesus doesn't really answer this question. He answers a different one. Instead, Jesus empowers, empowers even those wrapped up in their own perceptions of power, and he empowers them with the Holy Spirit. Verses 7 and 8, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is no longer about nationalism, but it is about the nations. It is no longer about an individual. It is about the whole. And God, the Spirit of God, is going to send those individuals into places they would never, ever fathom going. These individuals who carry with them decades of personal history and millennia of cultural and generational history, they are called to the work of bearing witness. I'm stunned. Willie James Jennings writes in his commentary on Acts that the the disciples are called uh, to two kinds of bearing witness. And I want to settle on this idea this morning. He says this, that the disciples, these ones uh, with Jesus right now in Acts chapter 1, they carry a real history with Jesus, like literally saw him, literally interacted with him. And so now they are called to be, to be master storytellers. They are bearing witness through the stories that they tell about what Jesus did, who Jesus was, what happened with Jesus along the way. So they are to pull from their very real experiences with Jesus that are now very precious memories. And these stories are going to mean something because they were eyewitnesses to Jesus, to God in the flesh. This is kind of type one of bearing witness. The next type of bearing witness is that these disciples will bear witness in their bodies of the divine presence of God, which means they are going to give space, give room for the witness, another word for the spirit of God, to do what God does on the stage of their life. I don't know if you've ever been in a play, but when you are in a play, when you are up front, there is something that happens with you that is in some ways beyond you. You either put on a character or or you put on an idea or you you offer something. And it's not you, it's it's you being this other part. What, what, What Willie James Jennings says is that the disciples are now opening their lives up so that God could be at work. And people would see that, not because of the stories they tell, but because of what's happening in their actual life that will, that will uh, prove or, or offer the spirit of God to the world. What they will communicate with these, this life is not God hates you and is begrudgingly taking out the trash, but that God loves And that God is relentless in his pursuit of people, even when they ask the wrong questions. 
Bearing witness in this sense uh, requires two things, experience and openness. Having encountered a real God and the person of Jesus, the disciples are now, uh, their lives are now the stage on which other people encounter the very real presence of God. It's not that the disciples are doing something that looks fantastical, that would convince people that God is real. No, it is that the disciples are, are open to the Spirit of God and people notice. It's not that they're setting out to prove anything. They're not in it for the argument. They are open. Their lives become the vessel by which the Spirit of God moves. We often get this wrong as people who love God. It is not the work of the disciples that manifests the Spirit of God. It is not the plans, the strategies, the dances that manifest the Spirit of God in Acts. It is actually the Spirit of God that manifests itself in the lives of the disciples that is the story of Acts. Let's match these. In the same way, it is not the work of the church to manifest the Spirit of God. It is not the work of the church to manifest the Spirit of God. But it is the Spirit of God that manifests itself in the work of the church. We so often get it backwards. Cart, horse, all the other metaphors. (laughs) We don't do a thing for God. We don't do a thing for God. God does all the things through us. We don't do a thing for God. Our lives, our lives individually, our lives especially, collectively, get to be the stage by which God is doing things in the world. And this is what it means to bear witness. But we often... Get caught in the net of doing for instead of being for. What I mean is that we get so caught up in doing things for God that we actually don't even need God to be around for those things that we are doing. Looks nice. People get clean water. We raised money. Feels good. But doing without God is a very harsh drug to detox from. Let me be clear. The the, the 6K Walk for Water was certainly inspired, uh, and and people obediently stepped into that. But But I don't think it is proof that the Spirit of God is here. I think the Spirit of God has been here and has inspired us to walk. Doing things without God is a harsh drug to detox from. Perhaps it's especially hard uh, for pastors, for for church leaders to detox from the most. See, because my whole life could be doing things for God without actually ever being for God. When I I typed that last sentence... (laughs) Yesterday afternoon, and I was very convicted. You see, because what, what has just occurred in the last few minutes um, 
is actually the third sermon I wrote this week. <laughs> and that, I don't tell you that because it's impressive. I tell you that because I was just convicted over and over again. I wrote two sermons. I wrote one on Friday morning. Most of that went away. Uh, the second sermon I wrote Friday afternoon. <gasps> Finished. Done. Good. Lots of words. Sound good. Talk about God. Talk about scripture. la di da da And I could just drive home fine. And I drove home uh, convicted. Convicted that, that that wasn't actually bearing witness whatever those words were on that piece of paper or in that document. I wasn't actually bearing witness. And then I got frustrated. <laughs> I got frustrated. So I was like, well, it's Friday. I, I, I want to be done. I would like this work to be over so that I can go about the rest of my day. Can't it just be, can't it just be done? But I realized that the, the truth, the bearing witness, the heart wasn't there. And, I, and so, oh, I said, okay, I'm going to leave it, and I'll come back to it Saturday. Let's see what God would say in the meantime. Oh, and God said a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and I was really frustrated that God was saying stuff, because I was like, why wouldn't you just tell me this on Wednesday? <laughs> or Thursday, God. Or Friday morning. That would be great. So, so I sat down and I said, okay, God, if you, if, if you want something, if you want to say something, you're just going to have to say it. You'll just have to say it. And God started saying stuff. <laughs> and my fingers kept going. That's me typing, by the way, <laughs> if you don't know. I hope it's not that spazzy, but it might be that spazzy. It's this, and it's a lot of backspace. I don't know about you, but I just I cherish that backspace. I admit to you, I was blinded by the goal of achieving and doing for God. And I forgot. I forgot that the only thing I can do is bear witness. It's the only thing I can do. And there are certain days where, where I will, and I know that I will fail. Just like the disciples who asked this silly question. I know I will fail. But I have asked, I have asked, I've prayed, I've begged, I've begged that there would be something between whatever is here and whatever is there. And I trust that it is the Spirit of God actually bearing witness in between these spaces. I bear witness to this part of the story, not uh, because it's cute or because I get to make this hand motion, but because I truly believe that the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God did something and is doing something. Maybe first with me, maybe first with you. And, and whatever God was doing with you was, was connected to me, and so we were processing it together. And I trust the Spirit of God is making meaning, is making sense, is bearing witness in this space. I believe we all bear these stories Stories of times we've done for God instead of been for God. Where we've done work with, without God, never really even caring or noticing. And also bearing stories, the truth, the witness, that when that things happen beyond us, that God is found in between, in the spaces between our failure and what God wants to do. I just, I think we have those stories. 
I think we bear them in our body. And I think the thing about Acts is not perfect people, but a perfect God who does that work in that space. After the disciples receive this instruction, you will bear witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus leaves. He just leaves. Taken up. Hidden from their eyes, a cloud, a shapeless form covering Jesus's, uh, Jesus' body, Jesus' self from their sight. They are no longer seeing Jesus, which was the theme of our previous series, seeing Jesus. They're not seeing Jesus anymore. And two people, two men in white, they, they show up and they ask, why are you looking for your witness in the clouds? Why are you looking for your witness in the clouds? It's a similar question that the, that the men at the tomb ask on Resurrection Sunday. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's not there. Also, your witness is not in the clouds. You see, their witness, the disciples' witness, is apart from them. And their witness is going to be a part of them. Do you catch the difference? Though Jesus is apart from them, their witness is a part of them. They now bear witness. It's in their memory. It's in their bones. It's in their tummies. It's in their stories. It's in their questions and their motivations and their hopes. They are wrapped up in it, and their lives are going to become the space that proclaims the good news. I can't believe it. I wonder for you, I wonder for me, I wonder for us, what witness do you bear? What witness do we bear together? It's my hope that, that as we pursue the Spirit of God by reading Acts this summer, that, that God might reveal this to you. What is it that you bear as a witness? I wonder as we wait and as we hope and as we see God, as we are being for God, not doing for God, that we might discover something about the Spirit of God that translates, that bears witness between this and this, between this and this, between this and this. I don't have long enough arms. I wonder what the Spirit of God might do as we bear witness. One of the ways that we want to equip you uh, with the work of bearing witness or even considering your own witnessing yourself, um, we want to get you into Acts. We want you to read it. Yes, we're going to be preaching on it. Yes, we'll, we'll read it on Sunday mornings, but we want you to be reading it on your own, maybe in smaller groups, maybe with neighbors, maybe at the park. And then someone who's feeding the ducks is interested in what you're reading. And then you have a conversation. You're bearing witness and the Spirit of God's there and the ducks get saved. Um, it would just be amazing. Uh, and so here's what we have. We have uh, this reading plan. This piece of paper is out in the back. Uh, you can get one of these. It has uh, the book of Acts broken up into 15, 14 and a half weeks. 
And so each day, or just five days a week, so you get a little break, uh, five days a week you will read uh, a certain section of Acts, uh, taking you from Acts chapter 1 all the way to Acts chapter 28. Uh, and it's our hope that as you read, that you're not just receiving information, that you're not just uh, 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 getting the stories or, or hearing just the characters, but that you too are discovering for yourself how the Spirit of God might be at work in you, in us, and in the world. Uh, and so if you want to do this, please pick this up, take it home. There's convenient little boxes that you can check um, just to keep on track because I don't know about you, but I always lose track. Um, this is also going to be available online. You can read it online in case you forget your Bible one day or, or other things. So you can, it shows you how to do that on here and you can follow along. Uh, as we do this, I hope that you find yourself not doing this for God, but this is an invitation to be with God, to be for God, and that the Spirit of God would do something. I trust it's going to happen. I don't really know what's going to happen, but I trust it is going to happen. This is good news, and I'm excited to embark on it with you. Let's pray. God, this invitation is wild, and it's ridiculous, and it's a joy. And I pray we wouldn't get caught up in the doing, but we would be found in the being. God, I pray that whatever it is of our lives that you might make sense of, as we bear witness, would you do it? For our sakes, for the kingdom's sake, for the world's sake. Thank you for using us. In Jesus' name, amen.